I'm excited to dive in today. Me too. I think it's going to be so great. Yes. We get the privilege of hearing from David Smith. He's been a longtime friend, probably about 10 years, and God is just doing some awesome, awesome things with his life and family's life. It's such a treat. So Absolutely. I am so, I was so blown away by this conversation and I'm really hoping that people like as we're all you and me as well, as we're listening to his conversation, that we really take note of God's constant pursuing of David, just even from the womb, even when David was doing nothing that God could have wanted him to be doing, that God was so consistent in his pursuing and his love for David. And I think that is something true for all of us. And I'm so excited. So let's hear it. When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at though, we wanna help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Hey, David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have a conversation with you. Where do you find yourself right now? I am in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, I'm in Lubbock, Texas. You're in Lubbock, Texas in a thousand degrees? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's warm. It's warm, but it's all good. There's a little bit of a breeze, so I can't complain. Awesome. So. Well, thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us. Um, we're going to pull it back and rewind all the way back to your childhood into adulthood, why don't we do kind of a snapshot of who David is as a family guy, whatever you want to share with us, and then um, tell us a little bit about just your journey. Yeah. So I'm 33 years old. I was born in a small town, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, grew up in a small town for, I lived there until I was about 14. Then I moved to Denver, stayed in Denver from 14 to about 29. And then God called us out to Redding, California, where we spent a few years in Redding at Bethel. After that, came back for a year, was the associate pastor at my wife's father's church. And then God called us to Texas. So we've been in Texas for about 17 months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been a wild journey for sure. Wild journey for sure. My mom... She got saved when I was about, I'd say 11, 12 years old. And she just like, it was like, a, it was just radical. Like it was so real. She changed, like everything changed. Like we were going to church. She's constantly reading her Bible. She's praying. She's getting baptized. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on here. She's dragging me to church, but it was so real. Like watching what had happened to my mom 
was so real for me at such a young age that like the, the concept of Christianity wasn't something that I had a hard time believing just because I had seen what had happened to my own mom. Wow. That's so, especially, yeah. I don't think many kids get to experience that where they watch their parents experience something that's so life changing. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, it was special. So for you at 10, 11, whenever that had happened, did you dive into church right away or what was, what was your journey like? Yeah, it was really interesting. Cause honestly, people will talk to me. They're like, when did you, when did you get saved? You know, when did you give your life to Jesus? That's what everybody asks. Right. And as I've found over the years, I can't really pinpoint a moment. I can pinpoint a moment when I'm like, when I, when I like surrendered, mm-hmm. but like a moment of belief in him, I don't ever remember not believing in God. Mm-hmm. Now, like knowing him is a completely different ball game, but I, I remember early on, I would get in proximity with God's presence and what I would feel more than anything else was purpose and significant. And for me, you know, I grew up, it was, it was kind of rough. I experienced a ton of rejection at an early age. My dad was kind of in and out of my life. Like I remember, I remember like my mom having restraining orders from my dad. It was just a mess. And like, I'd see my dad after not seeing him for like six months and like not be able to come near him because of a restraining order. It was just bizarre. So like I had experienced a lot of life very early on. Like I remember my mom had a, like one of my mattresses was in the back of an ice cream truck that she drove during the summer when she was a single mom. And so I would just sleep in the ice cream truck. So it's like our, uh, the whole, my childhood was just, it was just funny, man. So I think for me, believing in God was something that I was like, yeah, he's there because I felt so like maybe forgotten or unwanted or unseen until I get in his presence. And then there was just this overwhelming sense of like, somebody knows me, somebody sees me, somebody made me on purpose. Somebody has like a significant plan for me. And so my interaction with God from that place was I liked him. I was afraid of him. I knew I wasn't really living like a Christian life. And so like, I I remember being like 12 or 13 and my mom bought these books, the left behind books. You remember those? Oh, wow. I remember I did not read them. (laughs) So I read like the teen version of them when I was like 12 or 13 and it just scared me. I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh no. Like if I get left behind the rapture tribulation, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got to get my life to Jesus right now. So I remember like praying a prayer after I'd finished these left behind books. And like, I meant it to the degree that I understood what I was doing, but I basically was just like, God, I am so sorry. Please don't send me to hell. Amen. (laughs) I give you my heart. Like I'll say the words, like you have my heart now. We're good. I'm good. I'm not going to hell. But every night I would literally lay down in my bed and I would literally just go through a list and, and apologize to God for like 20, 30 minutes. Just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did this. I'm so sorry I did that. So that was kind of my interaction with God as I gave my life to Jesus as an early teen. I think I was about like 12 or 13 until I ended up having a radical. I just, I went to this church camp. So funny. And I went and I was, it was the summer before my eighth grade year. 
you know, you're like 13 years old. You're a boy. So you're like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to get muscles. Like girls are no longer icky. Like you're, you're feeling yourself. And so I went to this church camp like I'm about to find a girlfriend. Because <laughs> that's our goals. Yeah. I mean, it's such a disaster. Ironically enough, my wife went to the same church camp the yeah. same time. Yeah. And wow. her brothers. So we were there, but we never met, which is another story for another day. But I end up having this like moment with the Lord where I just, I have this encounter with the Holy Spirit and I can't quit crying. My body just feels like it's on fire and it's no longer, I'm sorry, God. It's like something is happening to me. And I feel like God has like marked my heart with like, you're going to carry the gospel. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to lead people in me. I was about 13 years old when it happened. And I remember I left and I was different. That summer I was different. I went back home and I would just walk around my hometown and I would just preach the gospel to people. And when I say preach the gospel, I literally mean like I had no idea what the gospel was. So I'd be like, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe in God. He loves you so much. Why would you go to hell? So I'm just like convincing everyone, you're going to hell. And they're like, relax, 13-year-old kid. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> so I did that for a while. And then by the time I was 14, actually, I had had a, a ton of really wild experiences, like, like really dark experiences from an early age. I I had been I've been exposed to like a ton of crazy stuff sexually and like I was so ashamed. I had just had a lot of like really, really dark, tough things happen at a young age. And so I think as I gave my life to Jesus, I had no understanding of the scripture. I had no idea even what it meant to be born again, to be a new creation, to be anything like that. And so my relationship with God kind of fell back into that fear thing and I was super unworthy, but now I was aware of the darkness that had been in my life mm. from an early age, which made me even more terrified. And it kind of just ended up tormenting me a bit, this guilt and shame and, and things. And by the time I was 14, I was like really considering taking my own life. And my mom, I think she sensed like that something was really wrong. And I ended up transferring schools and we ended up moving to Denver, which actually really helped. It was kind of just like a new start. Like I had grew, grown up with like a ton of like racism and I was like the only black kid in like the town. So it was like I was constantly fighting, constantly called the N word. I just had like a really challenging childhood at times. When we moved to Denver, it got better because like being black wasn't as big of a deal. And so I was able to just kind of make friends and it felt a lot more natural. And yeah, I ended up making a bunch of stupid mistakes in high school. I'll spare you the, the stories, but drugs and partying and girls and dumb stuff. And I ended up really, really struggling with anxiety to the point where at like 17, I actually, my mom would drew me from high school. because I would just like, I would have these panic attacks that were like debilitating. Like I'd be like wheeled out of school in a wheelchair like every day. I was just like a mess. I didn't know what was happening. And then honestly, I at like 17, my mom was still just loving Jesus. Like she's seeing stuff. She's like praying for me. And, and I'm like, I don't want anything to do with God at this point. And I'm so anxious. I can't eat. 
take a sip of apple juice. Like I'm choking, like something's wrong. Like I was just, I was so like wrecked with fear. My mom was like, Hey, come to this thing. These people want to pray for you. And I was so desperate at that point that I was like, whatever, anything's got to be better than this. Yeah. And so they prayed for me and, and honestly, like it was bizarre. They prayed for me. They weren't bizarre. What happened? What was, was, was bizarre. And they prayed for me and like, like I got full blown delivered. I like threw up this crazy orange slime, literally like did not look like food. It was crazy. And like the second I threw up, it like lifted and like all the anxiety and everything was gone. Wow. It was just like, I was like, I don't even know what just happened, but something just happened. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I'm, at that point, I'm like, all right, Jesus, we're cool. I'm going to behave. God bless. Thank you for whatever you did. I don't even know what just happened. I threw up. I'm good now. Amen. So I was like, let me just mind my own business, live for the Lord. That didn't work. I spent a couple more years wiling out and acting crazy. But what was what was wild during that time was the anxiety and that stuff. It never came back. The Lord, I think he was beginning to build a grid in me of his kindness and that like he wouldn't punish me. Like I was always waiting for this punishment. Like he set me free. I had this encounter with him when I was 14. I did this and I've walked away from him time and time again. But he would never like the stuff that he would free me from. It would just never come back no matter how I behaved. Yeah. I think humanity, our expectation is that like we do something wrong and the wrath is going to come. Yeah. Regardless of what it looks like. We steal, we have the consequences of what we stole. Sure. We act out, we have the consequences of that. So to actually experience God's word where it says his kindness leads us to repentance, his grace. Mm. Oh my gosh. To get to experience that so tangibly from such a young age, that's really, really beautiful. And and it was completely wild. Yeah. There's, I think I was potentially going into college the first time I had experienced a really dark, oppressive, whatever it was that I couldn't be just feeling a tangible, dark presence, but I had no clue how to handle it, how to come back. I just wasn't mature in my faith. I was like, I don't know. You like, yup. How do you get out of that? Totally. Totally. But I think even for today, for so many people that struggle with anxiety and depression and debilitating mental things, it's encouraging to hear that there there is hope and there there is freedom for sure. Totally, totally. So I think that was kind of my my experience, I would say, walking with God, not submitted to God, not really knowing God. At 21, I had made such a fantastic mess of my life that the only option for me was to go to 180 Ministries in Denver. It's a year-long faith-based rehabilitation discipleship program. I was just like, I have to do something. And so at that point, it had been years since I had really spoken to the Lord, but there was still that thing in me where I'm like, anytime I would get in his proximity, I'm like, 
he didn't change his mind about me because I'd feel the same through the years. Like even when I'd be like doing drugs at a party, I would feel this like, Hey, are you ready yet? Are you done with this? And I'd be like, Nope, not yet. I think people have this idea that God stays away from you until you give your life to him or you can't hear his voice until you've prayed a prayer. Or you've been trained by so-and-so, but it's like he talks to all of us all the time. He's pursuing everyone from day one. Like people are like they have this idea where it's like, well, God chooses the elect. He's predestined who will know him. And I'm like, yeah, he's predestined that every human being would know him. Like yeah. everyone's the elect. And yeah. so I think at 21, really encountering Jesus, I had a moment with him at 180. I was sitting in the back. It'd been, it'd been about a month at this point. And I was just like, you know, they tell you when to eat. They tell you what to wear. They tell you like what to read. Like you're sitting at a little cubby. You got a bunk bed with another grown man. It's like, this is a mess. Especially like for someone like me, I was out on my own at like 16, 17. I didn't like people telling me what to do. I was making money and selling drugs at a young age. So I was like, no. And so going there, it was so bizarre. But what happened was at nighttime, I'll never forget it. The first night I was there, they turn off the lights, they put candles on, and then they're like, they blare music. And then people just can go after Jesus. They'll sing or they'll talk to God. Some people like not say a word. It's just like this prayer thing. I'd never seen anything like it. There's this one guy in the corner who I actually, ironically enough, went to high school with, but he's got three days left in the program. So his whole life has just been transformed. Wow. And he's just sitting in the corner and he's just screaming glory to God. And he's just crying. And I'm like, this is a cult. These guys are nuts. I'm yeah. like, this is a mess. I'm like, I got to go. And so for that first month I was there every single night, Like you got to understand, Wendy, like when my mom would drag me to church, this is my experience in church. You know who Marilyn Hickey is? Uh-huh. Okay, so my, we, my mom went to Orchard Road Christian Center. It's a big church in Denver. Marilyn Hickey is this, this crazy healing evangelist, amazing, amazing leader of the church for, I don't know, she's like 60 years or something. So I go to her church. I would hide in the balcony. I would stand up during worship. I was just miserable. My hands would be in my pockets. I'd have this like look on my face like, nah, I hate it here. And I'd just be like hiding. And she'd be preaching or her daughter would be preaching and they just stop the message in the middle of the message. And this is like a big church. There's thousands of people. And she pointed me up in the balcony and she'd be like, I see you, David Smith. And the Lord sees you and you will do what he's created you to do. Oh. And like my insides would just like crawl. Wow. But this hope rose up in me like I knew it, like I knew that I was significant. And she did it for like a year. She called me out like five, six times when I would hide in her church. I was never a worship guy. I'm like, Hanson, I don't want to worship. I don't have time for this. This is weird. Everyone's looking at me. That's what I felt like. I'm like, if I sing and my hands are up, what are people going to think? I was just like, oh, I can't do it. So a month goes by. I'm like, okay, God, amen. I love you. I won't go back and live a wild life. I'm definitely not staying here for a year, though. I'm like, I can't do it. Ouch. So I was like, I said to the Lord, I, I gave him an ultimatum. I'll never forget it. Changed my life. I said to the Lord, okay, here's the deal. If you, you want me to stay in this program, you have to tell me. 
if you tell me to stay here, I'll do whatever you say. But if you don't speak to me, then I'm leaving. And I sat in the back and this guy was preaching. I don't even remember who he was. Big bald headed biker Pentecostal guy. And he's talking. Lord knows about what, because I'm not paying attention. I'm like having an internal conversation with the Lord on my own. And I open my Bible. I play Bible roulette, right? So I'm new at it. So I'm like, okay, here we go. God, you better tell me right now. Like, if you want me to stare, go. One, two, three, go. And I open my Bible. And I turn into Isaiah 40, Isaiah 41. And I read this passage and it's like, don't be afraid. I've chosen you and not rejected you. I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And I read it and this thing hits my heart. It's the first time I ever felt God talk to me in the scripture. I slam my Bible shut. I'm like, that doesn't count. I literally said out loud, I'm like, that doesn't count. He didn't even say anything about me staying or going. I don't know what just happened. That was weird. The guy preaching, I'll never forget it. He stops in the middle of his message. And he's like, I feel like I'm supposed to say this for somebody in the room. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like what's happening here? Because I'd never seen anything like it. And he was like, the Lord says, I've chosen you and not rejected you. I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The Lord says you have to stay in the program. And I just start bawling. Like I'm undone. I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you talk to me. And like, it hit me that God, the ruler of heaven and earth, everywhere, I gave him an ultimatum. And he cared enough and was humble enough and hard heart to be like, I'll talk to him. It just, it messed me up that night. That night I'm sitting in the back and everybody's worshiping and doing their thing. And all of a sudden I look up back in the day at 180, they had this like before it was all trendy and cool. Like it is now. It was just like this ugly blue painting on a wall. And it was like Jeremiah 29, 11. And it was like, oh. I know the plans I have for you. And I read it. And as I read it, it was like a movie reel. I could see how many times God had saved my life and been merciful to me, like just play like a movie. And just, it was like a waterfall of love just falling on me. And I just, all I could do is just like weep. We're talking 20 years of tears just coming out. And all I could say, like all I could get out of my mouth was God, you saved me. I'll never go back. So it's like, people are like, when'd you give your life to Jesus? I'm like, I think I gave my life to Jesus way earlier. I had no idea what it meant, but I'll say this, the moment I submitted and I met the man, Jesus happened when I was 21 years old. And when I met him fully, I saw his worthiness and it wasn't like God saved me. I don't want to go. I don't want to be left behind in the rapture. I don't want to go to hell. Like, I'm sorry. I'll try and do better. I literally was just like, Jesus, I give you my entire life. I'll never go back. That scripture, like you are the one my soul longs for. It like literally, I was like, oh, you're the one I've been searching for my whole life. That was in 2009. It's 2021 now. And every single day of my life since that moment has been about him. Wow. I love that. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) So gosh, I'm like, how do I follow that? That's so good. So you have this life-changing encounter. You do at 180. And then I think back to when we met as friends, we all kind of attended one of the same churches, doing a little bit of music at the time. 
I vaguely remember you telling a story about your name and what it meant. Does that signify anything with like the yeah, you have on your hands? Yeah. I think I had told you the story about like kind of how I got my name, like with my mom. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So my mom, she, she got pregnant with me. It's the mid eighties. It's, it's the East side of South Dakota. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically like the South small town ranching, predominantly white. Not that there's anything wrong with the South. It's just like, that's, it was racist. Racism is still, was still a massive issue there. And so my mom got pregnant with me. My mom is white. My dad is black. When my grandparents found out that my mother was pregnant with me, they told my mother she had to get an abortion because I was black, which was crazy because they're like devout Catholics. You don't get abortions when you're a devout Catholic, but their hatred of like black people outweighed their religion. And so my mom went in to go get an abortion and it was so crazy because the doctor was like, Hey, you're farther along than you think you should really think this through. And my mom was like, Nope, I just need to get an abortion. And he convinced my mom to get an ultrasound. And so she got an ultrasound and when she got the ultrasound, she said she could see me clear as day. And she said it just literally like a mother's love just like flooded into her. And she said she just started weeping and she'd like threw all her clothes on and she left. And she was like, I'm not getting an abortion. Like that's my son. Long story short, my grandparents, her family kind of writes her off after this. And my dad, he's kind of in and out. And so my mom, she, she didn't even tell me the story until I was like 22, 23. But my mom, she was sitting on the floor in like a trailer and she didn't have any money. She didn't have any food. The power in the trailer went out. And so like she was just sitting in the dark and she was just hopeless. She wasn't like walking with Jesus at the time. She has her own crazy story. Like I was not born in wedlock. She just was really like unimpressed with herself. And just, she didn't have any hope. And so she was going to commit suicide. And she said that right before she committed suicide, that Jesus walked into the room and just said to her, like, you can't do this. Like, I love you. And then he said to her, like, the child you carry is special. His name is David. And he has a special purpose in his generation. And she said she just wept and that was it. And that's how I got my name. And so she was going to name me like Joshua or something until this like encounter. I think David, it's so funny because we all resonate with David, right? Oh, he's the underdog. Like, I mean, read the Psalms. The dude's kind of a basket case at times. Like he's just this lover of God. He's wild. He's just like, everyone's like, oh yeah, like David, like David, like we all know David. And so It was really crazy, though, because I wasn't super familiar with David until 180. And I started reading about him in 1st and 2nd Samuel and reading the Psalms and reading Kings and reading Chronicles and like learning about this man and all of his like boneheaded mistakes. But like there was something about him that like the Lord loves like so deeply. It was really intriguing to me. Well, they have this thing at 180. So funny. The Lord is sovereign. So they have this thing at 180 called discipline. I was on it constantly. You do something like wrong, like, oh, you didn't, you didn't vacuum your room today. Discipline. Like what is discipline? It's like, you're going to 
write a whole book of the Bible out. Oh my and god! Yeah, it, I don't know if they still do it like that. Like, but I was on discipline like eight months out of the time I was in there. You just sit at a desk and you just do whatever they say all day long. That's so amazing. I got hit with some discipline. They were like, "You got to write the book of Psalms out, the entire book, by hand." Wow. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I, I, I write the book of Psalms out. And as I'm writing the book, it's 150 Psalms. Like my loose leaf paper stack was like this. And you have six weeks to do it. So you're just writing constantly. Wow. As I wrote the book of Psalms, something like happened. I learned how to write like him and how to like worship like David. Like the Lord built a grid for Davidic worship inside me during this time. And like there was a mystery about David's heart that I felt like the Lord like unveiled as I wrote the words that he wrote. And, you know, it really just it hit me so deeply. The Lord was just like, you're after my heart like this man. And I'm like, what does that even mean, God? Like, what does it mean to be after your heart? What does Davidic worship look like? What is this like relationship you had with David? Like, I mean, Think about the honor God has bestowed on David. Jesus is sitting on a throne in heaven right now. What's the name of his throne? The Bible says that Jesus is sitting on the throne of his father, David. There is a throne with a man's name on it who committed adultery, murdered, lied, and then counted men and then 70,000 more people got killed because of like his disobedience. You know, his own son turned against him because he failed as a father and his daughter got raped, all sorts of crazy stuff. And this man's name is written on the throne of our Messiah. I'm like, what do we not understand about God? Because if, if a leader falls now, it's like, they should never preach again. Like they're not, they're not worthy of it. They're not worthy to lead. They're not worthy of this. And I'm like, God doesn't throw people away. I don't know why we throw people away so quick. And so I've been on this journey in my own life. I'm like, what was it, Lord? Like, what was it? And honestly, I just, I just felt like the Lord was just like, honestly, that guy just really, really loved me. Yeah. He just loved me and he would do whatever I say. Sometimes he did things I, I didn't say to do, but if I asked David to do something, he'll do everything everything. And the Lord said that about him before he started anything. I feel like the Lord sees our hearts and knows them so much better than we do. And he's just longing for hearts that are a hundred percent his. People talk about behavior. Like we want behavior to be a hundred percent his. God's far less concerned with behavior being a hundred percent his and a heart being a hundred percent his. So I think with Davidic worship, which kind of brings me to where I'm at right now in Lubbock. We moved here about 17 months ago and we started this ministry, the Blue Jay House. And the Lord gave, I mean, he'd been talking about it for like four years, but he really like snapped it into focus this last year. And essentially like Davidic worship, I know a lot of people talk about Levitical worship, like we're Levites, we're Levitical worshipers and, and, and it's this beautiful thing. But like when you read the scriptures and like Amos and like all these prophecies of like this time that we're living in right now, there's this, they talk about like rebuilding like the fallen shelter of David and like the tent of David and, 
And it's always about this mountain of worship. Mm -hmm. And it's not Levitical. Like the temple has gone. Mm -hmm. It's gone. And like the old covenant was ushered in and it was, it was Levites. It was priests that were Levites in the order of the Levites. And Jesus shows up and he fulfills the old covenant. And now we're in the new covenant. It says that we belong to a new priesthood. And I'm like, well, what is it? And like this concept of like the Vedic worship, like the Levites worshiped out of fear and duty and religion. David worshiped out of love and faith and belief and relationship. And I believe that David pulled something 1500 years ahead of his time into the earth because of his love for God. Absolutely. Nobody knew how to worship Jesus until David showed up worshiping God. Like they knew how to sacrifice. They didn't know how to fall in love. And so I think the heart of Blue Jay is as a Davidic worship movement, we want the world to see what it looks like for a bunch of believers to just be madly in love with God and to adore him and praise him, not out of duty, not out of adoration, but there's no dignity attached. There's no consciousness of self. It's, it's like David dancing before the ark. It, it makes people hate you because it invokes something in them. Like, man, there's a piece of me that I hold back from God. And I think that's the beauty of David. That he didn't hold anything back from God. He gave him everything. He could. Yeah. And so I think with Blue Jay and with the Vedic worship, it's like we want to give him everything. We want to show a generation. We want to show a people that he's worthy of everything. And like it will build a grid for people. You know, sometimes you just don't know the way. Donald Miller is a huge. It's so funny because he's got a book, Blue Like Jazz. I read three pages of it. I probably couldn't finish it because I started it at 180 and then I got disciplined. So I had to write a bunch of stuff. But the three pages I read or the first chapter that I read was a heat rock because it stuck with me for like 10 years. And basically what he talks about is how he's in this park and he hates jazz music, hates it, always hated it, doesn't have any rules, can't stand it. He said he walked through a park and he saw this man and he was playing jazz music. And he said he sat down and he watched him for hours or hours or something. And then he said he got up and all he said was, I love jazz music. Wow. And then he said what changed was sometimes you don't know how to love something until you see somebody else love it. Yeah. And so I think with, with Blue Jay and our function to the bride in this hour, we want to show people how to love God. Mm-hmm. We want to help build a grid for people to love God. I'm not talking about, and this is so scary for the church to hear what I'm about to say. I'm not talking about character. I'm not talking about behavior. I'm not talking about any of it. Do I have a value for all of it? Absolutely. Does a, does a walk with Jesus yield good fruit? Yes. Does somebody who actually love God, you do no wrong to your neighbor? Absolutely. Am I condoning living like you don't believe in Jesus? No. But it's like, what is the heartbeat of, of Blue Jay? We just want you to learn how to love God because I'm confident that once you abide in the love of God and you're in that place, everything is going to change. And it's like, I don't have to be afraid of cleaning you up or your mess. Like I'm confident that if you meet Jesus, if we get you in a room with him, 
Yeah. You're going to leave different without it. anyone telling you anything. Well, so, and even just watching from states away, the stuff that you've already put out and getting to see this like worship in the round and how you talked about there not being a stage and just yeah. our generation that grew up in the eighties, like all we experienced was the hell wrath and fury. Sure. Save barely from the flames. And, yeah. and now we're in this place where we're going, okay, that is the rest of the world. And like, we enter into a place where like Jesus and the worship is like, that's our safe zone. And that's, mm. I think what worship is the form that, you guys are going after and like how you're singing praises to like, it's just you and God. And yes, there's other voices in the room and yes, there's instruments, but like, there's no flashy lights. There's no performance. It's literally yeah. this alabaster jar of like dumping out your oil saying like, this is my worship to you. And that's the way that people experience life change. Totally. Like, that opens up our hearts to be able to like receive from him. So, totally. No, it's beautiful. Honestly, like it blows me away. Our our worship leaders, this is what's crazy. Our worship leaders lead worship at mega churches around the country and we bring them in. They get in the room at Blue Jay and all we tell them is this. Get ready. It's different here. We only want you to minister to the Lord. Don't sing anything about anything but Jesus. I'm not kidding you. Every single time you will look at our, our ministry team. We've seen our ministry team. I'm not kidding you. There was one point where every single one of them was down, face down or getting delivered or whatever in the middle of the set. Oh, wow. And I'm just standing there with a microphone and I just started singing because I don't know what to do. It's just yeah. silent. And like our, our worship leaders are just screaming and they're being delivered because the presence of God is hitting them and setting them free. And then they stand back up and they're ministering to the Lord again. And it's just this crazy, powerful thing that happens. Like this last session we had, our worship leaders, they could not sing a line. Like they would literally, it was the, I've never seen anything like it. They'd sing a line. And then they'd have to back away from the microphone and they'd just cry. And then they'd gather themselves and they'd sing a line. And then they'd come back to the microphone and they'd just cry. Wow. And like it's just like this thing where they're ministering to the Lord and then he's showing them his beauty. And they're ministering to him and he's showing them his, his beauty. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is what it's like in like the most holy place. And it's right here in this room. I mean, I was ugly crying last session. Holy. <laughs> smokes i was gone i was gone because there was just this moment where one of our leaders jessica she started singing and she sang these words she said it will not it will never be enough just to know about you jesus and never call you my own and i just lost it because i'm just like i don't want to see a generation that knows about him but never possesses him and is possessed by him especially because he's here and he's made himself available to us. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't have any interest in religion or like more churches and more programs and things like that. Like this generation so badly needs a savior. He's what this generation is desiring mm -hmm. beyond like 
political lines and legislature and racial divides and all of these crazy things that are happening that people are like putting this identity or this, this comfort or this value. It's like what you want, what your soul longs for is Jesus. He inhabits the praise of his people. So it's like, if we can just teach a generation not to perform, not to show up to a worship set as consumers that's why we don't have a stage. We want them off the stage. We want the band at the same level as the people so the people understand that they're priests, just like the people leading. If we can build a grid, we can we can literally teach a generation how to praise the Lord. And when we praise him and when the earth is full of his praises, he'll walk among us. And so that's kind of that's kind of our heart. That's where we're at. I went from not loving worship to now leading a worship movement. Yeah. And I'm not even a singer, which is hilarious. <laughs> like I sing with myself, but I'm like, I'm not on the mic. Like I'm not Jeremy Riddle. I'm not any of those dudes. And I'm like, Lord, I'm like, what in the world? Why am I leading a worship movement? I don't play instruments. I don't do any of it. And the Lord's like, but you worship me. Well, and I think there's that funny thing of like, if you want to see God, laugh or chuckle like tell him what you're not gonna do <laughs> because <laughs> totally. oh you bet <laughs> totally and he's just so gracious that he you know it's you're doing something and it's not it's not a sacrifice to you it's because you love it that's it so i want to be um i want to be cautious of people's time as they are listening yeah. i there's like a hundred more questions I could ask you for now as we wrap up for today, because I'd love to have you on again. We can dive in a bit further. Where can people find out more information about the Blue Jay House? Yeah. So on Instagram, they can they can check it out. It's just at the Blue Jay House or they can visit our website, which is the Blue um, Search Facebook, Blue Jay House, Instagram, the Blue, I mean, YouTube, the Blue Jay House and it's it's easy everywhere it really is everywhere it is it is it is it's it's crazy and it's funny so and then secondly or lastly i will say gosh we didn't get to talk about your beautiful family i know i know i just got going no that's it it was perfect for this episode tell us what place are you between so we can be praying for that yeah i would say we're where we're at right now is beautiful where the Lord is calling us navigating record labels and, and record deals and things like that. Like again, things that are just outside my wheelhouse, pray for wisdom, pray for the right people, pray for, for our artists, pray for our family as we like move forward and see where the Lord wants us and what he wants us to do. You know, ultimately just pray that we do what the Lord asks of us, which we will. So thanks for sharing. So yeah, that are listening, David had a lot of really cool stories that I'm sure you're going to be thinking through of his life experience. And I want to challenge you listeners to think about your own experience. Where have you seen God show up in your life and potential places that he's been beckoning and pulling at your heart to get you to come and grow deeper with him? Thanks for joining us today, David. Thanks, yeah, for, thanks for having me. This is awesome.
stories and we can't wait to see what's next for you. So hang on a sec, but um, for everybody else that's listening, we'll see you next time on The Places Between. I can't, I don't even know where to begin. (laughs) It's so amazing. (laughs) And just like, there's so many experiences of David we could like dive into, but I just think about how many times God called him out by name, (laughs) like within crowds of people. Like, honestly, it makes me emotional to think that just all the things he was going through in life. Right. And sitting, you know, with his hands in his pocket, not worshiping, not wanting to be seen, but God is going, David Smith, I have a calling over your life, mm-hmm. you know, and his experience in 180 being like, God, I don't, you know, you got to show me or I'm not going to stay here, you know? And then when he talks about God's humility to not only show him in his word, but God's humility to have that speaker say that verse and call him out and that that is how intentional our God is. And that is how humble our God is Mm -hmm. and how overwhelmed with love for us. Our God is just a phenomenal conversation. Mm, Yeah. It's really neat to think how intricately detailed God is in pursuing us. And even when we think about our own lives or as listeners, as you're plugging in, just thinking, where are the spaces and places that God has really pursued your heart? And if you're not walking with the Lord right now, um, potentially where are the spaces and places that God has called out to you to get you to like pay attention to what he's doing? I just, so beautiful. I love it. And, and I think the boldness to be able to like, God, let me see you. Mm-hmm. God, let me hear you. Absolutely. Even the part where David is talking about Davidic worship and how it's like this New Testament, like our offering to the Lord, worship to God, where it doesn't matter if there's an audience or stage or lights or any of that. Like the Old Testament, like the Levitical law-based worship like that is old and we are in this place of the new covenant with our worship to jesus i just it was so beautiful to me so beautiful we are all the priests today (laughs) it was amazing so we so hope y'all enjoyed this conversation and were inspired by it please remember to like and subscribe and thank you so much for being here this week and we'll see you next week I'm over here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of the Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at The Places Between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into The Places Between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.